Well, I hope you all had a really good week this week. What did everybody do? Don't say it all at once. I hope you had fun. Whatever you did, um, we got some rain. That was really good. We live in farm country, and every day at noon, I listen to the farm report to hear about the crops. And so I think it was really good that we got a lot of rain this week. I think, and for our golf course people that are in the room, there's a few of you here. The, the golf courses needed some rain, too. Um, so that's a good thing. So God is good to us. He gives us what we need. Let's pray before we get into God's word this morning. Oh, Lord, we thank and praise you for this day. Thank you, God, for your goodness to us. Thank you, Father, that you have a reason for, for this life and for our world. Lord, you've created everything. Thank you, God, that we can trust you. Lord, I pray for, um, I pray for us, Lord, to have greater trust in you, to understand you more in the purposes that you have for our lives for our time here on this earth, and for your body, Lord, the people that are called by your name, and those of us gathered here and around the world right now. Lord, we realize that so many other people who follow you are gathered right now worshiping you and seeking you. Lord Jesus, would you work your purposes through your church both here in this place and around our world and our communities? Father, may we be united in the fact that you are Lord and Savior, and may we follow you boldly. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have been, if you haven't been here for a little bit, um, we have been talking about transformation. And um, Chris Nosworthy set, set me up really well before I started with you on identity and, and then how identity transforms who we are and why we are and what we do. And so I thought it appropriate that we go through the book of Acts. I love the book of Acts, to be really honest with you, because we learn so much. You know, we learn our history. It's like going back in our, in our faith history and seeing how, how it all began. And I'm, I'm always curious, and I wish, I wish I could go back, like if I had the gift of time travel, I think I would like to go back to this time and see what it was really like and how they did it and how they did it really messy and perfect because it was all happening and the Holy Spirit was revealing things to them at, in the moment. They didn't have the whole history laid out um, before them like we do. And so I would love to go back and, and see what it was like. And so I pray that as um, I prepare each week that we learn more and more and that it encourages us, it, it spurs us on, and it helps us understand more of who we are as followers of Jesus. First of all, I was going to ask you something. Um, if any of you have children in your life, you can give a small raise, yes. Most people in this room do. I saw them all truck in and truck out with you. Um, by the way, Lucas told me that his mom used to hide candy in the drawer behind me, and he was encouraging me to have candy back there, so I think I might. <laughs> I was like, okay, yes. <laughs> um, but I, I was thinking about the this today we're talking about transformation and purpose and and we're going to start out talking about what's your why and if you have a child in your life you know that why is like one of the first things that they start with as soon as they can talk why 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 yesterday um, my son Andrew we were at a, a gender reveal party for one of my coworkers. And um, there was <laughs> one of her, her husband's friends was there and he had a Tesla and Andrew's obsessed with Teslas I he, he was, the whole way home, he talked about Teslas, and then he kept pulling up in my phone all the different used Teslas that were only $42,000, Mom. And, um, and then why can't we get a Tesla? And I said, why don't you ask your dad that one? And, you know, I'm just going to tell you, Dan, I gave him that one to you. Um, but he, he could, you know, it was just why, 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 why about Teslas. And, and we got to have a ride in the Tesla. Do you know they go zero to 60 in three seconds? 
it was so scary. He, he, the guy goes, do you want to ride? And Andrew's like, yes. I'm like, I better go too. I'm not sending my kid in the car with a strange man that, you know, I mean, my, I know my coworker knows him, but I don't know him. And so I buckle in and, and we go for a little bit and there was a stretch of road. And he's like, okay, we're going to sit here for a second. And then, and then I'm going to hit the gas and ready to go. And I'm like, okay. And, and I like yelled out loud. I was so scared. It was so fast. It was like, and then, and I wanted to say, stop, stop, stop. But we stopped. But, um, Anyway, the whole way home, it served up Andrew to be like, why can't we get a Tesla? So that's going to be the story of our life right now is why can't the Jacobs have a Tesla? Well, there's so many reasons. <laughs> but you think about how we have purposes in life, and a lot of uh, our understanding is to make sense of things, to ask, like, why does this happen? You know, why does it rain? Why do we have weeds grow in our garden? Why do we have car accidents? Why do people die? Why... Why did this happen to us? You know, there's so many things. When we lose somebody we love, why did this happen? Why, 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 why? We have so many whys. And today, as we get into God's word, we're going to be thinking about how Saul, a.k.a. Paul, and if you know your Bible, and if you don't know your Bible, Saul was a big deal to Christians because he was the primary missionary to the Gentiles, which who are, we are Gentiles. We are non-Jewish people, unless you are a, a, a Jewish person here. But he was sent by God, and his purpose was to go into the world and tell the non-Jewish people about Jesus the Messiah. And before that, Paul was not somebody who was going to be telling Jesus but, about Jesus, but God changed his heart and helped him understand why Jesus was real, why we should follow him, why we should pray, and why we should seek him. And so why really communicates intention, purpose. It helps us clarify and understand why can also cause defensiveness. I know as a therapist, um, one of our big things in training was that we don't ask people why. You know, people will say things to me, and I catch myself like, well, why did you do that? Or why? And, you, and then you catch yourself, because why can cause people to become defensive? It, puts, it can kind of put a, a wall up. But it's, I think, also important because it helps us understand. So I think why has to be used appropriately. It can cause us to question ourselves or another person. But really, why used in this context is helping us understand the purpose. So if you think about something, how does the purpose of the early church 2,000 plus years ago connect to the purpose of the big C, the big church that's meeting all over our world right now, which is pretty exciting to think about. It's like a big party happening all over the place in all places. And the local church, the local C, small C, meaning us here, New City Church, and in other churches in our community right now. Um, one of my favorite people that my husband got me going on, I don't know if Dan got to see him in person when you first heard about No, he's shaking his head. No, I didn't want to give false information. Um, but Simon Sinek is one of my favorite leadership people. Like I, um, Dan and I have a couple of his books. Um, the one I haven't finished is Leaders Eat Last. Um, but I love Simon Sinek, and he um, just shared a great video, and I'll have Tony start that video. But Simon, his, his whole thing is on the why. What is your why? And I thought it'd be helpful. I know this video is a couple minutes long, but... It might be good to just serve up serve to up think about what, um, what Simon thinks of why and how that connects to us as Christians. Some connecting points with, with that video to us as followers of Christ. And he notes, first of all, he had to go back to why he was doing what he was doing. And I think that's a really important place for us, first of all, the center of us. If we follow Jesus, why are we following Jesus? We're in this church, you know, like I, I actually had a, a, a client say, like they didn't know what a pastor was because they, they were asking me about my other job. And my pastor goes, what's a pastor? And I was like, how do you start with that? I'm like, well, I help people follow Jesus. And 
I talk about the Bible, and it was such a disarming question. But again, what is the purpose of being a pastor? What is the purpose of why do we make time to come out several hours on a Sunday and, and sit here together? You know, there's so many people that aren't here. They're doing other things. Well, why are we here? What's our purpose? You know, I keep thinking back, and I don't know Mary and John Real, but I actually want to talk to them. Like, what was going on in your life that God prompted you to, to plant this church, to start gathering people together, to follow Jesus together? Like, why? What was the why? And I think those are important things to come back to. We think about Simon Sinek, him noting, first of all, he said something really important at the end. He said, at, at one point I was alone, and that alone part was not the good part of the why. And then he realized he started gathering people around him, and he said, a thousand to the left and a left and a thousand to the right. And, and he realizes he's not alone in his purpose. And I think that speaks to us as followers of Christ. We are not alone in our purpose of following Jesus. We are together. And in this past year and a half has been a weird year and a half because our togetherness has been redefined and changed and pressured and, and it's been really scary in a lot of ways. But I think right now this brings us to a place of excitement and I feel this anticipation growing of why do we follow Jesus and how do we follow him in ways that we haven't followed him before and how do we get other people to know Jesus is worth following. Coming here, being together, not being alone is worth it. And so that, I hope that gets you fired up to go out into your world this next week. I think one of my jobs is to be um, an igniter and to, and to look for places where we can ignite and spark and work together. And I've been praying for you all this week. I've been really excited just thinking about what's going to happen when we let the Holy Spirit come in, fire us up, and then we go full speed ahead following Jesus. And who are we going to have on our right and our left going forward together? Um, the story of, of Saul is such a powerful story. Um, it's so important because it helps us understand, first of all, how the followers of Christ, they went through Pentecost, they went through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, they started meeting together, they were eating food together, they were enjoying fellowship together, they were selling their property, they were doing radical things, and, and people were coming to know Jesus because they were loving, and Jesus had changed them, and people wanted that. Then we have the apostle, the apostle Paul, who his first name was Saul, and so it starts out at chapter nine. And if you can bring up, I don't know, Tony, is there any way that you can bring up that first nine? Can you go back to the scripture? It's this important phrase that we have that that we kind of we kind of breathe over really quickly, but it says, "Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples." And he had gone to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So it's important we don't just keep going on that, but we look back a couple chapters to find out what was going on and, and why was Saul doing this. And Saul was a, a zealous um, follower um, of Judaism. He was of the sect of the Pharisees, and he was part of... Um, the group that really wanted to make sure that that people weren't following incorrect things. And so he was part of the group that consented to the death of Stephen. Stephen was stoned, um, stoned to death because he, he was professing that Jesus was the Messiah. It was a bold thing. Um, it says that Saul was there at at the feet. Um, they lo- laid his clothes at his feet, and he approved of, of the stoning of Stephen. Um, they were starting to throw people in prison. They were trying to make sure that nobody was following um, people of the sect. 
And so we have this, this part here where it says, Saul then, he was really mad. You know, murderous threats is pretty strong. It's not just saying, knock it off. I don't like that you're saying that. It's saying, like, you, you talk about Jesus, I'm going to kill you. And so we have this part here that joins up um, on the cusp of 8 verses 1 through 3. It says, Saul approved of their killing of Stephen. And then on that day, so on the day of Stephen's killing, something changed for the followers of Jesus. It says, a, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. Up until that point, it seems that people were kind of okay, that there were people who, who were still believing in Jesus. It seemed like there was some tolerance. But something snapped. And all except the apostles, so all except that group of like 12 essentially, and maybe, maybe women with them, were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And it says, godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. And then we have our connection to Saul. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them into prison. So then it joins up in verse, um, chapter 9, verse 1. It says that then he went, he was going to go out to other places. He wasn't just going to be content in Jerusalem. He was going to go out everywhere and put everyone who followed Jesus in the slammer. So an important thing to think about with Saul is when we go to our picture of our, our caterpillar and our butterfly that we had talked about last week, um, this is an important point to remember, too, as you think about your own conversion and Saul's. Some people, you know, we think about how our conversion happens, and I've, I thought about my dad this week because my dad has definitely been a gradual follower of Jesus. My dad was pretty opposed to Jesus when I was a child. Um, it, was, it, it was really heartbreaking. Um, and throughout my life, you know, I've never stopped praying for my dad, and I know many people did, and he's come to follow Jesus. And it's, you know, when I talk to him on the phone sometimes, which isn't often, but he'll say, I'm praying for you. And, and I, I have that staggering moment, like, I never thought I'd hear my dad say, I'm praying. He's praying for me. So some people, they have a, an immediate conversion. They have an immediate, like, like Saul, like light, you know, night today. Some people, it's gradual, like a butterfly, the metamorphosis that comes. There's some transformation, again, that's gradual and some that's instantaneous. But we have to remember that God is the one who is in charge of the change, and we are not. And I think that also gives me hope and, per, and, and pause to trust God in his purposes and plans for each one of our lives. So um, if you're on the slide of this, the life of Saul and his original purpose versus transformed purpose, first of all, he was very particular and passionate about preserving Judaism and the ways that people believed, and also that they, they believed, too, that he was saying, Jesus isn't the one we're looking for, it's somebody else, and so if you believe in him, you're, you're off. His purpose became throwing people who followed Jesus in jail. He, um, one commentator notes that um, Saul was probably trained as a lawyer, and so he was versed in, in the law, not the Jewish law, but other forms of law. Um, so he was very passionate about making sure that there was persecution involved and they went to jail. He wanted to prove that the new sect of followers of the way were wrong, and he wanted to destroy the way, which was how they referred to Jesus. This is really interesting, too, here, because if you didn't know this, this is the very first part of the Bible where the reference to Christians being called followers of the way, if you caught that, is a ref reference to Jesus. And it was him in John fourteen six saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. One commentator reflected that Christianity is a combination of two things. It's an interpretation of life and a way of life. Through Jesus, life is explained and the why of our existence. The Apostle Paul says this well later on in Acts 17. He says, for in him we live and move and have our being. And the Christian life explains life in terms of creative purpose. 
It explains evil in terms of the necessary terms of conditioning under which men and women live with limited freedom and develop a moral nature. It explains human beings as creatures of God and a fine blend of dust and divinity. Being identified with Jesus also is a way of life and the way that we approach the mystery of the unknown. It defines how we manage our bodies, how we don't manage our bodies, how we treat people. It's how we meet and face death differently, which I think is the primary marker of, of Christ followers. And with confidence, because we know the one who's conquered sin, death, and the devil, and that's Jesus. During Saul's experience with Jesus, Saul and his companions were speechless. We, we come to this point where he's walking on the road thinking he's going to go throw people in jail, and all of a sudden, shazam. There's light from heaven, flashes all around him. I bet that never happened to him before. Um, he is speechless. He is blinded. He now, I mean, I, I don't know if any of you have ever experienced a momentary period of blindness. Um, I think my only experience was when I had my eyes dilated for the first time and I, I couldn't see anything. It was like, it was really weird. You know, I was 42 years old and I had never had glasses and then all of a sudden I dilated eyes. I'm like, oh, this is what it's like for people. Well, blindness is one of those things that unless you've experienced it, it's really profound. And for him, he needs to be led back. Um, he, he is not, he's pretty much knocked off his feet, I think about that. He, he went from being pretty proud and strong and determined to can't do nothing. Um, in three parts of Acts, it says that there was a voice heard, no one seen. In Acts 22.9, it's recorded that a light was seen and no voice by his companions. And then in Acts 26.13 to 14, it says a light from heaven shone. And in that moment, God rerouted Saul's purpose. And his call was then to the Gentiles. And it's really interesting because... Um, there's so much that, you know, you learn this story in Sunday school, and if you went to Sunday school as a kid, and there's, and there's so many things where you just kind of accept, like, oh, Saul, he was blinded, and then, you know, he went on his way, but there's so much more to it, and, it, and it's encouraging to me right now as I think about that, of the lives of so many people around me that I wonder about, and, and you think God is the one who's in control, God is the one changing lives, and he just expects us to be a part of it. The disciples' purpose for living was transformed by the resurrection of Jesus and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so we see how the resurrection of Jesus and how his work in the Holy Spirit was responsible for the conversion of Saul. And it's illustrated by the conversation Jesus had with Nicodemus in John 3.16. Remember our famous verse, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Well, Saul became a twice-born man. Remember, that was the conversation where, where Nicodemus came to Jesus and, and said, how can a man be born again? How can a man go back into his mother's womb a second time? Well, Saul experienced that. He became twice-born. His center of being was changed from, Paul, from Saul to Paul and Paul to Christ, and the purpose and course of his life was recircuited. The commentary I was reading noted that to believe a thing, a person must surrender to it, welcome it, feel it, commit themselves to it. When Saul met Jesus Christ on that road, he felt it all through him, and his purpose to, be, to live became as naturally as he breathed. Actually, I thought about like sororities and fraternities when you, or, or fraternal organizations. When you join those, you, you really do surrender parts of yourself, and you say, I'm going to believe these things. I'm, gonna, I'm going to um, embrace these things. And Saul embraced Jesus. 
So I want you to just think about something. What is important to you and what was important to you before Jesus changed your life? And maybe you're young and, and you're like, I don't know if I'm thinking so much of that right now, but if, if you have a life that you had before Christ, what was important to you? Think about the who, what, when, why, where, how. How did Jesus radically change your priorities before he came into your life? Our transformation, when Jesus transforms us, he transforms our purpose and he realigns our priorities. And it's important that we think, what do we learn from this? It's how we view life and death, our priorities for relationships, how we view forgiveness, how we spend our money and our resources. And to think about how God's purposes will prevail, even if we may doubt, question him, or feel otherwise. Again, I thought about my dad when I was a little girl, and my dad was so, you know, he had so much hurt in his life and so much hatred towards God because of some terrible things that had happened to him in his life. And I, I saw that, and I thought, he is as far away from you, Lord, as, he, as anybody could be. But it's been a beautiful thing over, over 40 years to watch how God wooed my dad to him. And now he is a follower of him. Nobody is too far, not one of us, anybody else. The body of, the body of Christ in that moment experienced a persecution and a scattering of sorts, and so have we. I really believe through COVID, it's, we've experienced a, a persecution of sorts and a scattering, a diaspora of sorts. Um, ours was not necessarily like against us for following Jesus, but I would say a persecution of churches were closed. We couldn't meet together. We had to find creative ways to meet, and now we're kind of trying to figure out how do we come back again? How do we get people from their jammies back into church <laughs> watching Sunday morning? You know, it, and for me as a pastor, I have to tell you that time was weird. Like I was working for another church, and I was preaching from the living room. You know, my dogs would come in, trot, 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 and I was waving to my family to get them out, and we were eating breakfast, watching, you know, sermon on another church. It, it was weird, but God has a purpose for it, and he has a purpose for us to come back and learn from that, too. I want to encourage you from Jeremiah 29. If you, if you know this verse, this verse has been an important one in my life and probably for many of you, but the, the word of the Lord says this in Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14. He says, Therefore, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and bring you back from captivity. You know, God has a plan and a purpose and he's working and we have to trust his plan and his future even if we can't see it all. I hope that you think about the time that you encountered Jesus and how your purpose in life was altered and your priorities and your timelines changed. Philippians 1, 6 is such a good reminder because it says um, the plans that God has for us, his plans will prevail. God is the one who completes and finishes. And the other person in this story that I think we gloss over is Ananias and his purpose in Saul's life. God had been doing work in Ananias's life to get him ready to respond to God to go to Saul. Can you imagine being Ananias and being called? And I, I don't know if you can think about somebody in your life that you're like, God, that's the last person you'd send me to. Like, I don't want to go to that person. And you think about how the church knew that Saul was coming for them. And then God says, Ananias, I want you to go to him. And Ananias says, Lord, are you sure? He kind of has a little check-in with God. You know, God, that's the guy. Remember, he's throwing people that love you into prison. What are you thinking? And it's really important because God says to him, he says, sorry, my Bible is so goofy here. Um, it says, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. We're in 9 verse 10. 
and the Lord called to him in a vision. He was probably praying or just waiting. And he says, Ananias, and he responds, yes, Lord. And the Lord tells him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. Clearly, Saul was distressed enough and blind and alone and scared and praying. And in the vision, he has seen a man named Ananias. You come and place his hands on him and restore his sight. And this is where Ananias says, Lord, I've heard a lot of bad stuff about this guy. He's coming to throw people in jail who call on your name. But the Lord says, go, this man's my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and the people of Israel. And then the other part is, and I will also show him how much he must suffer for my name. You know, God's purposes for Ananias were important because some commentators note that Ananias was the connecting link between the overpowering experience and the Damascus road. He came to interpret it to Saul to say, this is why you're blind. This is why, you, you, this is why you're not the same person and something has happened to you. And it's God. And he's also got a mission for you to go to the world. Ananias was sent to Saul by Jesus to help him make sense out of what happened, restore him. Taking part in a new identity, laying hands on him. It's so fascinating to think that at that moment he was baptized. Baptism was a mark of identity. He received a new identity in that very moment. He laid hands on him. He probably encouraged him. He also spoke truth to him, which speaks to you and I today. He says to him, you are, my, you are going to be God's chosen vessel, just like each one of you here are God's chosen vessel. God is pouring into you if you allow him and he wants you to pour out to this world and not just keep it to yourself. And this is the most adequate description for us chosen vessels, to be filled with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and the love of Jesus in this world. We are purposed to be chosen vessels just like Saul. The disciples were distinctive. You think about Paul's life after, before Jesus and after. And he was, he was recognized then as a new follower of Christ, even though people were terrified of him and doubted. You know, there's, there's a lot of, if, if you get into commentaries, you kind of get into the dark side of like church history because they argue back and forth of like, did this happen? Did that happen? Did that timeline happen? I don't even want to tell you all about it because it's confusing. But there is some discrepancy of like, did Saul go right away? Was Luke telling it right? You know, but the big thing is that people really didn't believe he was who he was. They probably thought, yeah, sure, now your new tactic is you're going to pretend to be a Christian, fake us all out, throw us in jail. We're not going to believe you. It took a while, you know, like this old saying, there's proof in the pudding. It took a long time for Saul to prove it, but he did. And then the global church is where it is now because of how God worked in Saul's life, and that's really important and powerful to think about. Um, each week, I'm going to try to tell a story of a, of a, of a real-life person that we know today. You know, the Apostle Paul is a real-life person, but somebody today that has been transformed and has a transformation story. And I got permission from my beautiful friend, Jenny. Let's see. Got her picture up. Um, Jenny was one of my cross-country and track students at Champlain Park, and I met her in sixth grade. And she gave me permission to share her story, and, and she wrote it to me and emailed it to me. But... Um, the thing I just want to note first is when, when I first met Jenny, you know, she's a 12-year-old girl, and we would be running. I loved coaching cross-country. You'd just have this gang of kids all around you, and they'd be talking, and you'd be hearing all about life in middle school, which, you know, fascinating, because I haven't been there in a long time. But I just remember her discovering that I was a pastor, and she peppered me with so many questions. She had so many questions about God, and then I sorted out quickly. She didn't go to church. Um, but she was so hungry to know about Jesus. And then gradually, a couple years later, she got permission from her mom and dad. Her parents are great people. They're awesome people. And they let her come with a group of other students to Lake Beauty Bible Camp, and they looked after children during our church retreat. 
And, um, and I remember we had chapel. We always kicked off with chapel at our retreats. Plug for the t- retreat that we're going to have, hopefully in the fall, by the way. Um, but she came in, and I just saw her just mesmerized. She, I could tell she didn't want to leave. She was singing. I actually felt kind of guilty sending her back to like look after the kids, which is why she'd come to the camp. But I could tell like, God was drying her heart. Well, soon after, Jenny and her mom started going to church, and, and the rest is history. But this is what she wrote to me. She goes, there's a saying, I wasn't born here, but I got here as fast as I could. And that's my faith journey in a nutshell. But here's a lot of the story. And she wrote, um, she wrote that I was actually her first big faith model, and she's the reason I'm writing this. She brought me to the faith, and I stayed because I loved it. I met Carrie in middle school. She was my cross-country coach. She was one of us, meaning she talked to us about anything and everything I did. School, boys, family, anything else under the sun. But that isn't all she was to me. She had this overwhelming feeling of peace, of confidence about herself and her actions. She loved us without conditions right where we were at. That peace was beautiful to me, and I didn't understand how, so I asked her so many questions. She did. I wanted that inner peace and assurance in myself and actions, so I learned. I chose this religion with my eyes wide open and haven't looked back. It's not to say I don't struggle. My biggest struggle exists with my self-worth intellectually. I know I have worth and value in Jesus, for the cross made me whole, but sometimes it's hard to feel. But like a fairy tale, I have a resolution to share. I was searching for peace, and I found it. Behold, when I shut my eyes at night, I can feel that peace So I, I, I so long yearned for. Whenever I shut my eyes to pray or step into church, I can feel what I've been searching for. Finally, on the topic of self-worth, I actually felt God speak to me. One of my friends shared her testimony in front of a room of people, and I, and I heard God say, look how much I love this person. You're no different. When we look back at our lives, we can see how God works the bad for our good. That's what, uh, that's what, that's what a parent does, and why? Because they love us. If the creator of the universe is the one who has such attention for the littlest things, loves me. Who am I to disagree? He hung the moon and stars. I trust his judgment. And so here we are, made beautiful in the image of the Lord. No one will love us better or be able to listen like he does. So I am done searching. I'll look for him, for peace, for self-worth and confidence. In him I'll trust and I'll be grateful. And she said, until we meet in heaven, bye. Love, Jenny Ullman. Thank you, Jenny, for sharing that. I hope she gets to watch, but I feel so blessed that she shared her story. So as we close today, um, I wanted to encourage you on a few, um, a few just challenges for this week to be thinking about. Um, first of all, next slide. I kind of lost myself. So I just want you to be thinking this week, if you want to journal or chat with somebody, what ways do you notice the purposes of Jesus in your life? What do you notice? What have you been noticing? In the next slide, how has Jesus reordered purpose in your life? You know, as, and I think that's a, a constant thing that he's doing every day if we let him. And then last, where do I need to realign God's purposes with my own? And that's, I think that's that place where we, where we pause and say, God, am I off? Are my purposes my own or are my purposes yours and how will I let you work in my life? Um, last week I was going to share a song with you all. It's um, the Matthew West, I'm Just a Nobody, that's been dinging around my head. And um, before Jamie comes up to close us, I just wanted to share that song with you. And um, I hope that it'll just make you pause and think this week this about week's what week's does God way. have for you and where is he at work and how do you join him in that work this week and his purposes for your life. May you join God in his purpose for being the body of Christ in this place and live beautifully this week. I'm going to pray and then Jamie's going to come up.
Lord Jesus, we just thank you that you have gotten a hold of our lives. And Lord, for those that are here that are maybe still figuring out how to let you have control, Lord, I just pray that they will just say yes to you and let you do the beautiful work in them. Lord, reorder our lives, our priorities. Give us courage, and I just pray that you will light this place on fire for you and that this church will be a beacon of light and hope in this community. Use us well, Lord, and, and help us to seek you this week. In Jesus' name, amen.